0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, if you've your Bible, go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. Maybe get out your Being Transformed journals if you got those. Get your new song app out if you got that. You can follow along with me or just whatever you brought to take notes on. Right on your arm if you got to, but take some notes this morning. Luke chapter 23. We're in a series right now called Dying Words. And we have been, for the past six weeks, this is the seventh week of this series, we've been talking about the seven statements that Jesus made while he was dying on the cross. And we're looking at these, and one of the reasons we're looking at these is because couple things. One, Jesus was the most important person who ever lived. Like I hope you recognize that. Like Jesus, like there's this idea that exists in the world today. You probably heard of it before. There are people called influencers and an influencer is someone who has like a big social media following. They're called an influencer. Listen, Jesus was an influencer and it wasn't just like he had, you know, a good social media like following. It was that Jesus like impacted this world in a crazy way. Like Jesus shows up on the scene and time is split in half. A, D, B, C is split in half because Jesus shows up on the scene. So Jesus was an influencer. He fluenced some people, all right? He's a fluencer, all right? And so he's important, he's a big deal. And the things that he did, the things that he said, and obviously the cross is a big deal, right? So you've got Jesus, the most important person who ever lived on the cross, one of the most important events that's ever taken place, saying some stuff. And so we as a church are just kind of been leaning into that the past few weeks so we can understand what exactly Jesus was accomplishing on the cross, what it means for us, what it means to the world. And it's been an incredible series. If you missed any of this series, I'd really encourage you to go back and and check it out. It's been so good. But here we have the seventh statement of Jesus. This is the last statement he makes from the cross before he yields himself to death and willingly lays down his life to death. He says this, Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 44, says this. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And if you've been a part of this series, you know the significance of these things, how important this was. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, here's the dying word statement, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed, his last. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this incredible Easter service. And I pray, Lord, that today that every one of us would have an encounter with the resurrected savior of the world. That we wouldn't walk away from this service having just gone to an Easter service, having just taken pictures with our family and kind of gone through the motions. Lord, but that each and every person in here would have an encounter with the love and the incredible work of Jesus. And so, Lord, over the next few moments, we pray, Lord, that you would show up, that you would speak to us, that we would leave different than how we came into this place. And right now, if you would, I want you to just pray a simple prayer just to yourself right there. Just say, God, would you speak to me today? Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then if you'll do one more thing and just right there to yourself, just say, Lord, would you use Pastor Josh to minister your gospel to me today? Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. And we thank you and give you great and and give you honor and glory. And we thank you and we give you all the praise for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you're if you're taking notes, here's something worth writing down. The final works of Jesus from the cross were to declare trust and to offer surrender. The final works of Jesus before he yielded himself to death was to declare trust and to offer surrender. Trust and surrender. Two things that I think if we're being like real this morning, we would say those are two things that are kind of hard to come by in the world that we live in today, right? Trust, like for real. Trust, it is hard to trust people, isn't it? The world we live in today, man, it is hard to trust people. Like who do you trust? You know why it's hard to trust people? Because people are untrustworthy. You notice that? So like who do you trust? You trust the media? I don't think so. Do <laughs> you trust like politicians? No. Right? I don't know about you, but like the past couple of years, with everything that's been going on, I have found myself moving to a whole new level of distrust with the media and with politicians. Like I remember at one point in my life hearing about stuff like, you know, the JFK assassination, and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know, it's probably just one shooter, but now I'm like, nope, it was a conspiracy. <laughs> there's there's all sorts of stuff. They're lying to us, they're lying to us, right? We don't trust people because there's a lot of lying going on. So who do you trust? Like, you know, go beyond that. Like celebrities. You trust celebrities? Celebrities out there slapping each other? (laughs) And then we're going, was it a real slap? Was it a fake slap? Was it a sage slap? Like, we don't know. We don't trust them. (laughs) We don't trust these people. And then you take it more personally. Like in your life, do you trust your boss? Do you trust, you know, the people you work with? You know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Do you trust your spouse? Like, who do you trust? And as painful as it is for me to say, like, it's hard to even trust, like, religious leaders today. Like, I'm as bothered as anybody about what's happening in the church. And it seems like there's all these different scandals going on. And it causes us to kind of go, I I can't trust anybody. So so we struggle with trust. And when you struggle with trust, listen, you're going to struggle with surrender. Because when you don't trust somebody, it's hard to surrender to them. And so what happens is they've they've done some studies on this, and they've discovered that when we don't trust people, we withdraw from people. In fact, I, I've got a couple things here. The Harvard Review did this this article they published a few years ago, where they they went to 28 different countries and they asked questions related to uh, trust, related to business, related to uh, go, uh, government, media, non governmental organizations like nonprofits and churches, and they discovered that the majority of people in the world trust. None of these organizations, like we don't trust them. And then I was reading that millennials, anybody in here millennial, if you're a millennial, you were born between 1981 and 1996. Anybody fall into that category? That's some of you. Okay. They say that the millennials are the most distrusting generation in human history. (laughs) 19% of millennials trust other humans. So that means that you meet 10, you're a millennial, you meet 10 people, you trust not even two of them. Like that's who you are. Okay. And that's millennials. That's not even like the new generation. Generation Z, I'm sure it's just getting worse and worse, especially with all the garbage that's going on. And so what happens is because we don't trust people, we don't want to surrender. We, don't, we, we, we withdraw from people. And so we withdraw emotionally. We withdraw intellectually. We withdraw financially. And what we do, listen, this is big. What we do is we begin to pull things into our own control, into our own hands. We, here's the idea. Into our own hands, I commit my life. Because if I can bring my life under my control, then I can kind of seize my life and seize my destiny. Well, let me just tell you something. Taking your life in your own hands doesn't seize your destiny. It actually sabotages your destiny. Because the reality for every person in this room is our life in our hands is still, listen, out of control. Because I don't know about you, but... I have done some stuff in my life. Like, I, I, I can't even trust myself because I, I let myself down all the time. And I've let myself down through the years over and over again. Like, I, I've struggled to control my anger. Anybody relate to that? I've struggled to control my emotions sometimes. I've struggled to control uh, my lusts sometimes. Like, I've struggled with this stuff. And so, like, this idea that if I can just bring stuff in under my control, then it becomes under control is crazy. Because I don't know about you, but I've let myself down more than anybody else has ever let me down. Yeah. So that idea that, like, if I can just get it under my control, then it'll all be better, it's, it's, it's a false narrative. The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians 1.9. We had a sentence of death within ourselves, it's in you, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. In other words, it's a death sentence to trust in you, to believe that you, outside of God, can bring your life into control and you can trust yourself. Listen, that that road leads to death. Okay, so here's Jesus, right? And Jesus is in a chaotic situation. Like, you think we're living in chaos? Think about Jesus. He's at the end here. He's taken on all of the wrath of God. All of the sins of the world have been poured out on him. He's gone through all this suffering. Every relationship has abandoned him pretty much by this point. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. The people at one point, just a few days earlier, he's coming into town and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he, waving palm branches, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they're thinking, oh, he's coming to, to set up a new rule. And then when he doesn't do it their way now, they're saying, crucify him, spitting on him. Mocking him, yeah. chaos. Yeah. And it's from this place that Jesus displays trust and surrender. Yeah. Yeah. But notice who he offers trust and surrender to. It's not to the world, it's not to people, it's not to the Roman government, it's to God. Yeah. It's to God. Into yeah. your hands, I commit my spirit. I trust you, God, and I surrender to you. How is he able to do this? Well, here's a couple of truths for you to take home this Easter weekend. Number one, what we see displayed in Jesus is Jesus trusts God's heart. Jesus trusts the heart of God. How is he able to do this? Here's why. Because he knows the heart of God. Because he knows God, he's able to trust God. In fact, it's interesting when Jesus quotes this, makes this statement from the cross, into your hands, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's actually quoting from another section of scripture, Psalms 31, verse 5. Now, Psalms 31, verse 5 was a significant passage to the Hebrew people because that verse in particular was one that they would pray over their children at night when they would tuck them into bed. Kind of the equivalent of like, you guys probably know this prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's kind of one of those little kind of prayers except it was biblical. (laughs) And so they would tuck their little kids in, these Hebrew moms and dads, and they would pray this prayer over them. Psalm 31, five, into your hands, I commit my spirit, deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And what they were teaching their children was this idea of surrender and trust, that I'm gonna go into this place of rest and I'm gonna trust that no matter what happens tonight, I am in the hands of a faithful God. And so Jesus, I'm sure when he was a child, Probably Mary and Joseph probably tucked him in, prayed this prayer over him. And so here he is at the end of his life, bringing us back to this little bedtime prayer. But he does something to it. He changes it. He changes it. He adds something to it, and he subtracts something from it. Look at what he does. This is Luke 23, verse 46. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He adds, Father, and he doesn't say, Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. In other words, here's what he does. He makes it personal. He makes it relational. What they had prayed for years was to this distant God, this distant faithful God, but who's distant, Jesus says, Father. And when he says Father, he uses the word Abba. And Abba was a, was a term that was used by little Hebrew children, especially little toddlers. It was a way of, that they would talk to their fathers. It was a term of endearment. It was a term of familiarity, dependency. Like you didn't just call any father Abba. You called your father Abba. And it was on, it was on par with like a little kid today, a little toddler saying, Dada. Like it was basic, loving, trusting language so catch this, here's Jesus in this moment from this place of chaos. He quotes a bedtime prayer of trust and he addresses it to a personal God he relates to as his Abba. Isn't that beautiful? And he displays for us this idea, I trust the heart of my Father God. How is he able to do it? Because he knows his Father God. He spent time with his Father God. He, he knows the nature of, of his Father God. He knows the character of his Father God. He knows what his, his God will do. He knows what his God won't do. He knows him. And because he knows him, he knows him so well, he's able to deem him worthy of trust and surrender. See, that's the thing. When you don't know someone, it's hard to trust them. But when you know someone, you get to know them, you can deem whether you can trust them or not. So probably the person I know the most in the world is my lovely wife, Sarah. I've I've known her, been married to her this summer. We will have been married for 19 years. Yes, give her a hand, right? Yeah. I met her when, we got married when she was 11, so. Not quite, not quite, but close, yeah. But I've known, I've, I've been with her for over 20 years, and I know her very well. I know how she thinks. I know how she processes. I know the kind of stuff she does. I know the kind of stuff she doesn't do. I know what she likes. I really know what she dislikes. <laughs> I've come to know her well. And so I know her character. And, and listen, you, if you came to me and you told me something that is not in line with her character, I'm going to recognize it. Because I know her. So like, for example, if you were to come up to me and you're like, hey, I think I saw your wife at Cafe Cacao the other day, drinking some coffee and eating some French toast. I wasn't quite sure if it was her. I'm going to be like, yep, that was her. Because that's where she likes to go, and that's what she likes to get when she goes there. Like, that's, that's my girl. That's her. That's very much in line with her character and her nature. Cafe Cacao, coffee, she's down for that, right? But if you were to come up to me and say, I think I may have saw your wife, Sarah, the other day, She was in the parking lot of Walmart and she was fighting with an old lady over a cart. I'm going to be like, nope, not her. Because I know her. And she ain't going to get in a fight over a cart in the Walmart parking lot with an old lady. That's not what she does. That's not in her character. That's not in her nature. So you get it because I know her. I know what she does. I know what she doesn't do. I know her heart. And because I know her, I'm able to trust her. And I trust her with my life. Like she controls a lot of my life. (laughs) She's in control of the finances. She controls a lot of what goes on in her home. Uh, she controls, like, I, I trust her to control and help me with my children. Like, if I, if I find out that Sarah's got the kids, I'm not going, wh- what is she doing with them? Oh, my gosh, what's going on? Like, I'm, I'm not nervous about that because I know her. Like, I knew this morning, I'm here at church. She's at home getting the kids ready. I knew they were going to show up, and they were going to look good for Easter, and none of them were going to be injured. And they did. She made it. She did it. I trust her. I know her. Like, listen, guys, I sleep beside this girl every night. And very rarely do I go to sleep wondering if I'm going to make it through the night. I'm not going to bed every night going, she might murder me tonight. I'm not going to say it never happens, but sometimes most of the time it's not that way. So, so here's my point. I hope you're tracking with me. If you don't know someone, it's hard to trust someone. Some of you have a hard time trusting God with your life. Because you don't know him. You're going to have a hard time trusting God with your life if you don't know him. And that's why here at New Song Church, we we have this, this bullseye target that we're going for, for every person in here. We want to help people know God. That's why we exist as a church. And when we say that, we're not talking about like coming to this place where you have more knowledge of God. We're talking about you coming to a place where you know God relationally. Because listen, Jesus didn't die on the cross to be your religion. He died on the cross so that he could have a relationship with you. So he could be a part of your life. So he could lead you and guide you and talk to you and walk with you through life. And when you step into a knowing, like real relationship with God like that, I'm telling you, it'll change your life and it'll change your trust. Because once you get to know God, if you come to know him like I know him, like a bunch of people in here know him this morning, I'm telling you, you'll have no problem trusting him with your life and surrendering whatever he asks you to surrender over to him. Because you know him. And it's a danger, and it's actually like a trap to not trust God with your life. In fact, look, look at this verse here, Psalms 31. We just read, into your hands I commit my spirit. The verse before says, keep me from the trap that is set for me. What's the trap? It's a trap not to commit your life into God's hands. It's a trap to believe, like, I can control my life. I can do this on my own. God, I got this. I'll I'll trust you with heaven. I'll trust you with eternity. But I got this thing here on this earth. Listen, you ain't got this. All right? Look at the person beside you and say, You ain't got this. God did not design you to got this. You were designed to be in a relationship with God. You were designed to be connected with Him. So what you need to do is come to terms with this like Jesus did and trust God with your life. Jesus trusts God with His life because He knew the heart of God. Jesus trusts the heart of God. Here's the second thing that we see in this statement. Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Number two, Jesus trusts God's hands. He trusts that the hands of God are strong and can carry him and can hold him up. And that if he surrenders himself into the hands of God, he's not going to fall. He says, into your hands, I commit. That word commit is a Greek word, paratithemy. It means to surrender. It means to to willingly hand over. Notice it's a willing handover. It's not like God's going to snatch you up. You have to willingly, you make the decision to hand over your life, to deposit something valuable, which says a couple things. One, you're valuable to God. You're valuable to Him. He values you. And you should value your eternity. You should value your future enough to put it into the hands of God, to put something valuable in a safe place. When the Bible talks about this idea of surrendering over our life to God, uh, a word that's used over and over again is this Greek word trapezo. Trapezo. It's where we get the word trapeze, right? Anybody ever been to the circus before? You've been to the circus or lift up your hands? Not not too many people, but a few of you. Here's a fun fact for you. I've never been to the circus. Never been. Never got to go. I was, I guess, mistreated as a child, but it never happened. (laughs) And now, like, the circus isn't a thing anymore. Like, it's not really a thing. Ringling Brothers, I guess, is over. So, like, what you see with the circus, I, I still come in contact with circus from time to time, but it's like driving to Florida. You're on your way to Florida, and you drive by a Walmart parking lot, and there's a couple tents set up, and it's like there's a circus in town. And I don't know about you, but I look at that, and I'm like, no, don't trust it. Not gonna surrender to it. Not interested. Like, lions in there? Like, this, this you know, just not, not into it. So, anyway. <laughs> but the circus... When it was like a better thing, uh, they had these things inside the, the flying trapeze. Maybe you've seen this on TV. I've actually got a picture of one up here this weekend. Here, this is the trapeze. If you don't know, it's like these guys are hanging from these bars. And there's one guy called a flyer. And they fly out, like they're holding on with their hands. They fly out over the trapeze. They jump off this pedestal, fly out. And then there's a moment where they let go. And they're caught by another person called the catcher. And the catcher is hanging from that bar on another bar uh, by their leg pits, kind of hanging upside down. And their job is to catch the person who's flying. And so in the training, here's what's interesting. In the training of of learning how to do this, uh, the person who's the flyer has to kind of get over something. And that's this letting go without being able to see everything. Because whenever they get there, when they let go, and the point that they're supposed to let go is a point where they cannot see everything going on at that moment. But the other person, the catcher, can see. They have a different perspective. And so what the flyer has to learn how to do is learn to listen to the call of the catcher. And, and so when they're practicing, the catcher will let out this little hip and it lets them know, let go. And if they let go in that moment, they're trusting that even though they can't see the catcher is going to catch them. The catcher's hands are strong enough as they surrender in that moment. So they have to let go of what they're holding on to, surrender, be still and know that the catcher is going to catch them, which reminds me Psalms 46:10, be still and know that I am God. There's a moment for each of us when we have to be willing to let go of what we're holding on to, to be still So that we can come to the knowledge that God is really who He says He is. So I want you to know something about God. God is a good catcher. Like He's a really good catcher. And you can trust your life into into His hands. You can trust that if He's telling you to let go, if He's telling you to release something, that He will not let you fall in releasing it that he will catch you and that he can hold you up. His hands are strong enough to handle your life. You can let go of control and you can surrender your life over to him. And when I talk about this idea of surrender, I'm not talking about like a one-time kind of conversion moment where you say, all right, well, I want to go to heaven. And so I'll lift my hand and I'll pray that prayer because I, but, but I'm going to keep living my life my way. Listen, that's still you trying to control stuff. That's you saying, I want to control my eternity, but I still want to control my life. What God is asking you to do is surrender, not just one moment, but every day. The heart posture God is looking for is a person who will say, daily, I will listen for the catcher's call, and I will release whatever it is he's asking me release to release into his hands. That's the call of being a person who's made Jesus the Lord of their life. Not just the Savior. The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just about making Him your Savior. It's about making Him the Lord. That means He's the boss. That means when He says, let go, you let go. You release. And here's the beautiful thing, and this is the Easter story. It's after Jesus is on this cross, we see Him display this idea of trust and surrender. It's after He surrenders His life into the hands of God. What takes place? What's the next thing? He is gloriously resurrected. He's gloriously resurrected into new life. He's pulled out of pain. He's pulled out of death. He's pulled out of shame. And He's resurrected as the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's given a position of power and authority over the things of this earth. He's given a name above every name, a name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, either willingly or made to. But at some point, every knee in this room is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of us have just chosen to do it before heaven. right? But you got to come to terms with that. God is inviting you to release something into his hands. And when you do, there's a resurrection on the other side. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. It's from the release that you can experience the resurrection. It's after the release. God is in the business of resurrection. And so the call of the catcher, the call of God is what we listen to. And whatever He's asking us to release, we commit it into His hands. Maybe for you, it's your life. God is inviting you to quit trying to be the Lord of your life. Quit trying to bring everything under your control and release your life into His control. Release your life into His hands. If He's asking you to do it, you can trust Him with it. Because there's a resurrection on the other side of your release. Maybe God's inviting you to release some pain that you've been holding on to some hurt that you've been holding on to, some condemnation. Maybe you're dealing with a past that you keep holding on to. And God is saying, will you release that into my hands? Maybe God is inviting you to release some forgiveness. You're holding on to some unforgiveness. And you're afraid, if I let that go, if I let that go, it's like day one. What they did was wrong and it's not fair. And I don't, I don't want to release this to them. But listen, God is saying to you, hey, you holding on to that, it's not hurting them It's hurting you, and you can release it, that forgiveness, into the hands of God, and there's a resurrection. God wants to resurrect you to new life. Maybe some of you right now, man, God is tugging on your heart, and you know you're not right with God, and God is saying, hey, would you be willing to trust me with your life? Would you be willing to trust me with your eternity? Would you be willing to surrender and release your life into my hands? Because listen, on the other side of a release. The resurrection.
1: I started doing drugs when I was 12 years old. I felt good about myself, and you know, I, I started using more, you know. As I grew up and age of 14, I started drinking. I felt like that's what I needed to get by each day. I didn't know what that road was going to take me at all, but whatever that road took me, I was willing to go down that path. I was the middle one out of nine kids, and I'm the middle one out of five boys. Being in the middle, you kind of feel like you're, you're not getting attention that you need. I was raised with two stepfathers, and then my dad, I didn't really know him until I was in the seventh grade. I would see him like twice a year I thought maybe that he didn't care you know? my mother she never really had the time to I guess to understand what I was going through I guess felt like I'm not being accepted by my family you know like I was a, a loner I mean, I felt like an outcast a lot I did drugs always through high school and I kept on doing it and I went to the military I thought well maybe I could become something and let my family know I I did something to please everybody and myself. When I left the military, I felt anger. That set a path of destruction, drug use, lying, you know, manipulating people. I was on crack cocaine so bad that I didn't care about anybody, I didn't care about nothing. You know, all I worried about was where my next high was coming from. That's when I became homeless. I was staying in and out of hotels. I still didn't stop. I kept using that. I kept telling myself, I need to stop, I need to stop doing this, but I never would. So I called her on the phone and I said, are you guys going to church Sunday? They said, yeah. I said, well, I want to go. She said, really? I said, yeah, I want to go. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I don't know if they're going to accept me in this church. I don't know if they're going to look at me like I'm a lost soul or what is he doing here? When I came through that door, people was saying hi and shaking my hand. And my name is so-and-so and this and that. And I was like, why is everybody so nice? And Pastor Josh is preaching about having a solid foundation. I felt like he was talking to me. I felt like nobody else was in the room, just me and him. I told the couple I came, but can I go meet him? And I introduced myself and I said, Pastor Josh, I said, my foundation is not solid. My foundation, I feel like it's built on sand. And him and Pastor Sarah put their hand on me. And they prayed for me. It was like a weight lifted off of me, you know what I'm saying? With all those years that I have worn this burden on me, it felt like it's been lifted off of me. All of that commitment, the love, the acceptance, I couldn't find it in my family, I couldn't find it in friends, I couldn't find it in the driver. But I found it in God. My friends said, man, you show change. You know, I told them, you're right. You're right. I did.
0: Come on, give it up for the Lord, would you? <laughs> Steve is right back here. Thank you, sir. So awesome. Yes. So proud of you, man. On the other side of a release is a resurrection. I couldn't do that for Steve. None of us could do that for Steve. Only God. Only God could use someone like me to make someone like him feel like God is talking directly to him. Only God can do that. And I'm here to tell you, whatever you're holding on to, if you'll just release it in the hands of God, There is a glorious resurrection on the other side. So so here we are. It's the moment of surrender. And my question for you is really simple. What is in your hands right now that needs to be released into the hands of God? What is that thing that you're holding on to that you need to commit into the hands of God? That, That thing that you would say, God, into your hands, I commit my fill in the blank. What is that for you?